I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Each and every one of you made it happen. The New Mexico treasure hunt is fully funded. There's no turning back now, Amy. I wish we would have just stuck with the Doctor Who podcast. You're really going to bring up Doctor Who Gives a Fuck the podcast? Yep. That should have been the one. No camping or bugs or bears involved with that. You haven't watched a single episode of Doctor Who since they stopped casting handsome skinny British guys as the Doctor. Hey, that's not... Okay, I mean, that's probably true and all, but still. (laughs) What I really wanted to do on today's episode was to share with you all the story of our very first time hunting for the Fen Treasure. I don't think either of those. The Fen treasure hunt has claimed another victim. Hiker Buddha Klein has been missing for five days. Has been missing for 16 days. Last seen in the Carson National Forest. The pair left Austin, Texas at approximately 10 a.m. on June 4th, driving a black 2012 Jeep Grand Cherokee, headed northwest on U.S. Highway 183, towards Taos, New Mexico. It's been over three weeks since Budokline was last seen alive. But what exactly happened once they made it to New Mexico remains a mystery. What really happened on the hunt for treasure? We'll have the answers for you. We have breaking news that will turn this case on its head. Tonight at 7 on Channel 7. I was very surprised 
when we pull down. John Burr Museum of Nature and Science. There's a clue there. Right. I'm recording a message for when they find us. We knew it could be dangerous, sure, but we thought we had prepared. At its core, that's it. A married couple with a semi-popular podcast went into the wilderness of New Mexico searching for a legendary hidden treasure. One came back, the other didn't. There is, of course, more to the story. And I can assure you, Channel 7 News didn't have the answers. No one does. I guess, in a way, treasure hunting was important to me. And I was hoping that I could make it important to you, too. But in a fun way. Oh, definitely a fun way. <laughs> but that's what I love about you, Buddha. This is the subjective truth. Stay with us. My name is Graham Anderson. Yeah, that Graham Anderson. Sports Central, Monday night highlight packages, all that shit. Usually it's, hey, you're the lady with the big red glasses, right? And I can't tell if they've recognized me from TV or if they're just mocking the red glasses I currently have on my face. So I nod and say, yeah, because either way, it's true. So yes, before you ask, I'm that Graham Anderson. The lady with the big red glasses who used to be on TV for almost a decade and still gets called Mr. Anderson every time I go anywhere or do anything. Sorry. The sooner you're able to forget that, the better. With that being said, I'd like to start with a story about myself. Back when I was still just a dirty-faced kid growing up in Oklahoma, my hometown, Stonewater, would organize a countywide treasure hunt every summer for the kids. 
The local radio station, KLRU, and the Stonewater would broadcast and publish different clues every week, so you'd be forced to listen to the radio and read the newspaper. Every kid in town was into it, but I had a secret weapon. My dad, the puzzle nerd, was obsessed with the treasure hunt. All summer long, we would stay up late, way past my normal bedtime, poring over the clues, drawing lines and circling future search spots on the map. At times, we were dead on with our analysis of the clues. We were in the right area. We were so close. But we were never the ones to find the treasure. Throughout my adult life, I've found myself drifting back to these memories of searching playgrounds and parking lots with my father. Mystery was our common language. The last time I saw him alive, he asked me to raid his library. He told me to take whatever I wanted and added that I should also take a few books I thought I'd hate. You know, for personal growth and all that. I left with two stacks of books. Books about war crimes and books about meditation. His signed first edition of the electric Kool-Aid acid test. And his weather-beaten, warped copy of Anne of Green Gables that I dropped in the rain when I was 13. I was grounded for a week and banned from his library for a year. It felt weird to be given carte blanche to just take whatever I wanted. In the top drawer of his desk, I found what might end up being the most important book of my life. The Thrill of the Chase by Forrest Fenn. Part memoir, part literary treasure map to an actual treasure hidden in the Rocky Mountains. What drew my attention wasn't the topic or the cover. It was the where. Dog ears, highlights, bookmarks, notes in red ink, Theories and musings filling the margins. Words lost to white fold lines cutting through the page. It was apparent that at some point, my father had become obsessed with this book, and presumably, the hunt for Forrest Fenn's treasure. Before we travel any further into the unforgiving terrain of New Mexico, it might be beneficial to understand why Buddha and Amy wanted to go there in the first place. What was this hidden treasure? And who was behind it? Retired Air Force pilot and eccentric art dealer, Forrest Fenn. In 1981, while in recovery for what was originally diagnosed as a terminal kidney cancer, Forrest Fenn became fascinated with the idea of hiding a treasure, leaving a trail of clues and creating his very own mystery. Fenn made two trips into the Rocky Mountains, taking with him a treasure worth roughly $5 million, a chest full of gold coins, nuggets, and bracelets. And Fenn left his treasure hidden somewhere in the Rocky Mountains for one lucky individual to find. The only treasure map, his memoir, The Thrill of the Chase. In October of 2010, Forrest Fenn self-published a book, The Thrill of the Chase. A 
and told the world about the treasure he had left hidden somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Initially, the book had a small print run of 1,000 copies and was sold exclusively in one local Santa Fe bookstore. Within its first year of publication, the book made its way into mainstream media and the small community of devoted hunters who had formed around the Fen treasure ballooned into an international community of thousands of hunters who analyzed every word of the text. And that's the appeal in the hunt. No one knows the truth, so anyone can read Fenn's memoir and poem and potentially find clues where no one else has. Hunters are able to study the Rocky Mountains and surrounding wilderness from the comforts of their home with the help of Google Earth. Others are compelled to get out into the wilderness, knowing that the only way to truly hunt for the treasure is to be there on the ground turning over the stones. At the time of this recording, at least five individuals have died searching for the Fen treasure. Countless others, like Buddha Klein, remain missing. I never gave the book another thought until a random day in June of last year. I was sitting on my couch and I saw the book on the bookshelf and thought, what the hell? There are harder ways to try and connect with your deceased father. I googled Forest Fen Treasure Hunt. And then there they were. The headline was something simple like, hiker in New Mexico missing for 19 days. Within the article was a short interview with a young woman who was participating in the search and rescue efforts. At the time, what particularly stood out to me was the shirt she was wearing. It read, Help me find Buddha. I wanted to know where I could get one. After the investigation went national, Amy sat down with the infamous gotcha television investigator, Tammy Nance. What would you say to your critics who claim you lured your husband into an isolated area and ended his life? Hey, what? Simply asking the questions that the people have been asking. What? Tell us about the Jeep. So, about that Jeep. Our dispatch got a call from a pissed off hiker. He was yelling about Banksy. <laughs> Banksy. That's the voice of park ranger and Taos search and rescue member, Ahanu Bodaway. What I encountered when I arrived at the location was an abandoned black Jeep Grand Cherokee. What makes this strange is where it was parked and how. Eagle's Beak is a cliff in Carson. It's a bastard trying to get up the thing. No roads or anything like that. Wouldn't be room for them if there were, but somehow there was this jeep standing at the edge of the cliff. I say standing because it was sitting on its rear with the front of the vehicle facing up in the air. It, yeah, it looked like it was standing. It's just sitting there on its rear. Like, how in the hell did it get up there, you know? Once we got it down, we ran the plates and were able to link the vehicle to a Texas resident, Jerry Klein, and then to his son, Buddha. Internet message boards went wild with the images, and I was right there in the thick of it with the rest of the obsessives. They called it contemplative jeep, or suicidal jeep, 
depending on how it was being applied. For some, it was just another meme. But for many others, the Jeep seemed to back up some of Amy's wildest claims. I didn't know what to believe, but I was hooked. Jerry and Beth Klein sat on the couch across from me while I sat in a chair Jerry brought in from the kitchen. Their somber expressions flanked on all sides by smiling pictures of Buddha from his childhood and adolescence. You can see him age from a sticky third grader to awkward punk teenager just by looking left to right across the living room walls. Mixed within the array of captured memories are rectangle wall discolorations of all sizes. Tiny gaps where a picture once lived, but has since been removed. What kind of a kid was Buddha? Buddha was such a little angel. We must have raised two different kids. My little Buddha was always an angel. A little weird, maybe. A weird angel. <laughs> I won't pretend to know what they're going through, so I don't fault them for what happened during our first meeting. We were a, a very outdoorsy family, always hiking or biking, camping at Possum Kingdom. And ever since I was a little girl, I, I felt I had a, a deep spiritual connection to nature, and, and oh, that was something I wanted to pass on to Buddha. I, I just, I wish I... I just wish he would find a way home or, or find a way to let us know he's okay. You believe he's out there somewhere? Yes, absolutely. I can feel it. I can, he's, he's still alive. How do you manage to stay so positive? Jerry's face darkened as I asked the question. What's that supposed to mean? Everyone look at the delusional parents. It's just... Let me tell you a story. That's what this is all about, right? Milking the story of my son's disappearance for a little bit of cash, lining your pockets and propping up all that batshit crazy bullshit Amy says happened out in the woods. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, Jerry, please. You're the one who wanted to do this interview, Beth. Do we need to take a break? No, I need this to be over and for you to get the fuck out of my house. I want you to know that I have the best intentions. I bet you do. They would come around eventually but it would take some time. While I waited, I decided to reach out to Amy to see what all the batshit crazy bullshit was about. Self-driving vehicles have revolutionized the way we travel, commute, or just get around town. They're safe, efficient, and comfortable. But let's face it, pretty boring. Once you take away the act of driving, it becomes clear just how long these drives can really be. If only you could just lay back and enjoy the ride. Double, the worldwide leader in augmented reality, would like to invite you to the opening of the Layback Theater. Instead of sitting at a red light, you're gliding through the Milky Way galaxy. Instead of cutting your hand across the tree line, you're traveling through a human circulatory system. With one tap of the screen, we transform the windows of your vehicle into a fully immersive video experience. Travel through medieval England, at the bottom of the ocean, 
or through a 1950s interpretation of the future in the first ever auto drama, Welcome to Wonderland. With the layback theater from Double, your trip is wherever you want it to be. Visit double.com for more. Enter promo code SUBJECTIVE to get the first episode of Welcome to Wonderland for free. And remember, if you're not seeing Double, you're not seeing it. Amy looks confident in the way people look confident before a job interview or the opening of a play. It's a sheer veil of polite energy draped over insomnia-scripted conversations, and it's impossible to hide. Oh, come on in. Sorry about the mess. It's so nice to finally meet you. I feel like I know you so well already, but only through emails and avatars. This is different. Since this was our first meeting, I knew that if I pushed too hard too soon, I would risk pushing Amy away completely. So I kept it light. Informal. She's recently started working at a new job. She's answering customer service calls for a notorious cable company. Sounds like hell, but she says she enjoys the anonymity of it. We were winding down when Amy said, Can I have one more thing? Can I get a boom shakalaka? My dad used to make me say all those Sports Central catchphrases when his friends would come over to play dominoes. Someone would throw down a 20, I would yell, boom shakalaka, and everyone would laugh. I mean, I thought I was such a little fucking comedian. So would it be better or worse if I told you that I dressed up as the Graham Anderson for Halloween when I was 10? I basically just wore my Aunt Gloria's suit and a pair of big red frame glasses, but... Sounds like a pretty spot-on early 2000s version of me. Any chance you got a picture of this? <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, no. But um, I do have something else I think you'd be interested in. Amy retreats to a bedroom, and I hear the muffled sounds of frustrated rummaging coming from behind the door. She returns holding a small shoebox. Inside are microtapes. Thirteen of them, to be exact. And then she said, No one else knows that these exist. Boom shakalaka. Shortly after leaving Amy's apartment, I received a voicemail from Beth Klein. I apologize for my ex-husband, Jerry. He's a, he's a good man. He's just frustrated by it all. And yet, Graham, the, the truth is for me, it, it never really settled in as, as reality, you know? I, I still, I still have these thoughts of, um, oh, I wonder what Buddha's doing, or, or when is he going to come visit me again? And, uh, well, I just, it takes a moment for me to, to collect myself, and, and I just, it, it's just like a little dab, you know? Just, he's still gone. You saw Buddha and Amy on Wednesday, June 3rd, the day before they left. 
Did you notice anything strange going on with Buddha or Amy during the last visit? Oh, he was happy. You know, really anxious and just really, really excited. Has your relationship with Amy changed since the... I mean, I don't know if there's a respectful way to ask, so I'll just be direct. Do you blame Amy for what happened to your son? Oh, bless her heart. No. So she didn't have anything to do with this. She's, oh, she's such a sweet girl, you know. I, I think she thinks I hate her now. If you see her, can you, can you tell her I don't? Because uh, she probably wouldn't believe you, I guess. See, after Buddha... Oh, after the Tammy Nance interview, I think she was scared that we felt the same way. Cause they took some things Jerry said out of context and ran with it. It made it seem, I don't know, like... Like we hated her and, and, and blamed her for what happened. But... Beth and I talked late into the evening. She's truly a delightful woman who has managed to remain positive about a situation that most would describe as hopeless. See, when Buddha met Amy, he was, um, well, he was just drifting at sea, you know. She was, uh, she was a lifeboat, you know. Buddha had already dropped out of school at, at Texas State, and he, you know, I don't know, he wasn't working, well, the only thing he was devoting any real time to was this, uh, <laughs> this dumb stand-up comedy thing. <laughs> My grandfather asked me to kill him. He wants to choose when he dies. And he wants me to help him. It's weird. I feel weird. But I owe it to him, right? So I do exactly as he says, and I go through all the trouble of setting everything up just for old Pop-Pop to get cold feet on me. Like, jeez, man, make up your mind. Don't ask me to murder three other people and then murder you so that your name lives on forever tied up in the details of some serial killer mystery, if that's not really how you feel. Oh, you know, he was not very good. <laughs> he told me, uh, that's my mom. Supposed to be ironic or, or something. He said he, he was just playing the character of a, a bad comedian, and I, I, I remember Jerry said something along the lines of, "Well, you're doing a great job of that," and uh, oh, but his face turned beet red. But uh, in the end, I, I guess it served its purpose. See, I'm not usually one to talk about fate, because. Well, Jerry and I met in the fifth grade, so, you know, for us it was just less destiny, more proximity. <laughs> but um, with Bruda, it was like he somehow knew he needed to be there at that comedy club so he could, so he could meet Amy. See, as soon as she came into the picture, Buddha's calls went from, can you send me some money, to, we're getting an apartment together, we're, we're starting this thing, we're starting that thing. <laughs> I was really proud, and since Amy was, you know, actually a, a good comedian, Buddha immediately retired his act. I remember seeing a lot of drama trophies on your mantle. Did Buddha always have a love for the stage? 
hosting the comedy showcase at the basement parade that night. And the distinct laugh in the crowd during Buddha's set? That was Amy. And that night was the night they met. This video is still up under the title Basement Parade Showdown Showcase, June 1st, 2014. Go watch it for yourself. Buddha goes on fourth and struggles through a long three minutes. But Amy is right there with him, a disembodied voice in the crowd, laughing at every syllable, because she gets it. She gets him. But for such an outgoing and seemingly likable person, most of Amy's relationships seem to be strained. Almost no one I reached out to would agree to do an interview. This might be a case of private people just not wanting to get caught up in the drama of the story surrounding her. But the fact that there weren't more people willing to defend Amy's character is surprising, and possibly quite telling in ways that no interview could be. 31-year-old Buddha Klein was last seen in and around Taos, New Mexico on June 8, 2020. He was wearing blue jeans, Converse sneakers, and a black t-shirt. He's 5 foot 11, 160 pounds. He has gray eyes and dark brown hair. No glasses, tattoos, or piercings. He has a small incision scar on his right shoulder and a four inch burn scar on his left knee. 
If you have information, theories, or ideas about what might have happened to Buddha Klein, please give us a call at 575 We'll be back soon with more of the subjective truth. Until then, stay safe and don't become a story. The Subjective Truth is a Good Point Podcast. Written and produced by Jeremy Ellett. This episode featured performances from Sarah Golding, A.R. Olivieri, Danielle Ellett, Steve McGrath, Jen Lyles, Dallas Wheatley, Melissa Medina, Jazz Walker, Ashley Promisell, and Addison Peacock as Graham Anderson. Vocal direction by Danielle Ellett. Editing and sound design by Jeremy Ellett. Music by Baggio Alvarado.